Welcome. Happy Father's Day to the fathers. Um, we also always like to acknowledge on Mother and Father's Day that this day can be difficult for some people. So if that's you, just know that we're praying for you. If that's a complicated day for you, we love you all the more and we're so glad that you're here. Also, as Corey said, happy Juneteenth. Um, one of my favorite civil rights leaders, uh, Fannie Lou Hamer, said one of my favorite quotes, which is, um, ain't nobody free until everybody's free. And so um, as we learn about the freedom that is in Christ, uh, let's remember that today. So uh, my name is Matt. I'm one of the team members here, for those of you I don't know. Um, I'm the care pastor. So generally, my job is to kind of sit one-on-one -on -one with folks and chat. Um, if they're feeling stuck or um, going through a rough time or need somebody to process with, um, that's usually my job. And I'm super honored to get to kind of break out of that a little bit and get up and talk to you all as a group today. Um, so, you know, the first thing I want to say is uh, just a little bit about my kind of style or philosophy with, with messages and sermons. Um, I'm not so sure that I'm up here to teach you all anything. I actually think that as human beings with consciousnesses, consciousnesses, <laughs> the, the plural of conscience, um, you are made in the image and likeness of God. And I have a suspicion that each one of you in here, whether you're not even sure what you believe today um, or whether you've been walking this walk for a while, have a deep, deep knowledge um, inside you of the living God. And so my, my hope today is that through um, the parables of Jesus, we can maybe draw a little bit of that out, something that's already in you, if we can cultivate it and kind of welcome it out into the world um, in a new way. So, um, you know, with that said, uh, I wanted to kind of introduce my, my talk today. Uh, I went ahead and titled it, um, and it's going to be called The Implications of Quantum Mechanics on Our Theology and How Time as a Construct Affects Our Biblical Hermeneutics. <laughs> Just kidding, that's not it. Um, <laughs> like three of you in here were like, finally. <laughs> uh, everybody else is like, all right, I'm gonna head out. Um, no, today uh, we are gonna be talking about the parable um, of the mustard seed. I am in control of my own slides, so it's just we're in dangerous territory already. Um, we're gonna be talking about the parable of the mustard seed, and that's from Luke 13, 10 through 9, if, if you're... Um, an analog person and have an actual Bible, you can go ahead and turn it, um, but I'm also going to have the scripture up here. Um, so before we get into the actual parable, I, I, I always want to ask the question, why? Why is it important for us to learn what we're about to read? Um, and I kind of want to start with this quote, God works in mysterious ways. Um, many of you have heard this, I know I've heard it, and I actually did some really deep research um, to try to figure out who we could accredit this quote to. Um, and it actually uh, goes back here to uh, a person avoiding the question. Um, <clears throat> most of the time when we hear this, it's kind of like, okay, so you don't, you know, you're, you're in eighth grade in Sunday school, so Janet doesn't really know why bad things happen to good people, but God works in mysterious ways. Um, I do believe God works in mysterious ways. If you know me at all, I love the mysterious part of our faith. And mystery is super, super important when it comes to cultivating a relationship. Um, if my wife, Jenny, uh, knew everything about me on our first date, what would we talk about? Like, we, there'd be no room for us to grow. She also probably wouldn't have gone on a second date with me. But, uh, um, you know, we need that mystery with God so that there's room for us to ask questions and, and, and to grow. Um, 
But I also think that there are times in the Bible, especially with Jesus um, in the Gospels, where things are not quite as mysterious as they normally are. He kind of... uh, he kind of turns to camera, you know, the breaking the fourth wall. Um, the good examples of this are like in Ferris Bueller's Day Off when he kind of breaks the story and sort of turns to camera and talks to the viewer. Um, another good example, uh, if you're not a good Christian, is Deadpool. He does it all the time too in his movies, <laughs> but um, don't go see those movies. Um, don't send me emails. Um, so uh, it's this idea that Jesus is sitting there, and he's a very real person. He's a historical figure. No matter where you're at theologically, Jesus was real. He's sitting there, and um, he's talking to fishermen. He's talking to tradespeople. He's talking to other Jews. Sometimes he's talking to Gentiles 2,000 years ago. But then every once in a while, it kind of seems like he almost turns to camera, and it's like, hey, I see you, taller person with a glowing box in your pocket and the mechanical horse-drawn chariot um, that you fly through the highway with. I see you 2,000 years from now, 3,000 years from now. Let me tell you something that applies to these fishermen I'm talking to, but also applies directly to you. Um, one of those uh, that I kind of want to build what, what we're talking about here off of is the Lord's Prayer. Many of us learn this um, as children. In Matthew 6, 9, um, the disciples say, well, then how should we pray? If you've ever had to pray in front of people, or maybe you're new to the faith, or coming back to your faith, and you felt uncomfortable with prayer, well, I kind of have a secret for you, like, especially in our sort of non-denominational context, you know, we're not, um, we're not like a high uh, Catholic church or or, um, a higher, what they call high church. In our context, we put a lot of emphasis on being able to like pray, you know, on the spot in front of people. But Jesus is actually like, well, here's how you pray. He, he kind of turns to Cameron and he's like, oh, so you want to know how to pray. Um, and he tells us to say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to set this up for the second time uh, that I think Jesus kind of turns to camera and breaks the fourth wall. Because uh, he's giving us a very specific ask. He's saying, ask for God's kingdom to come and ask for his will to be done. Well, if we're praying for God's kingdom to come, we need to understand who he is and what that kingdom is like um, so that we know what we're praying for. Well, Matt, um, how do we figure out what the kingdom of heaven is like? That seems heady and very big. Um, Like, how can I possibly know that as a mortal? Um, How can I possibly understand that as somebody who's working and maybe raising kids or um, looking for friends or trying to get enough sleep, trying to get, eat, drink enough water. You know, what, how, can I, how can I figure out this infinitely complicated thing? Well, this is another time where Jesus goes, I got it, let me tell you. <laughs> um, this is from our scripture today, Luke 13, 18 through 19. It says, then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? Well, what shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in the garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. So what is Jesus trying to tell us here about this kingdom that he asks us to pray for? Um, I want to kind of break it down into a couple of of simple points here. Um, I think that the kingdom of what Jesus is saying to us here is that the kingdom of heaven is small, sometimes, It's intentional most of the time. It takes time, and it's all around us. I'm going to kind of unpack these one at a time, and I hope you'll sort of join me in thinking through them. The first point 
is that the kingdom of heaven is small. It's like a mustard seed. If you've never seen a mustard seed, this is it on the tip of somebody's finger. Um, it's really small. And the weird thing about it, it's like smaller than a, um, a sunflower seed, smaller than, I don't know, think of your seed inventory in your head. It's a really tiny seed. Um, and uh, when you plant it and it goes the way it's supposed to go, it grows, we'll look at a picture later, into a, a pretty big tree. Sometimes it grows into a smaller bush, but a, a mustard seed can start very small and grow over time to be quite large. I wanted to... Um, I wanted to kind of set up a juxtaposition here, or sort of like a comparison, um, between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of man, uh, and then we'll go through some, some examples. But I think one of the things that Jesus is getting at here is that the kingdom of man is big and forceful and obvious, um, and the kingdom of heaven is small. It's in the little things a lot of the time. Um, the kingdom of man isn't always bad, and it's not always good. Um, but it's big and it's forceful. It's governments, it's armies, it's companies, um, it's even family systems. Um, it, it's big and it's obvious, but I think what we're going to find out is the kingdom of heaven is sort of subversive and small and underlying. Um, so I want to do an illustration really quick. Um, Daniel, could you guys turn the lights out for me? Um, imagine that you're camping, right? Uh, Virginia's a great place to do this. You're out uh, laying on your back in the field, and um, there's no light pollution, it's quiet, maybe you can hear the frogs, you know, singing, um, hear the wind blowing gently, especially with the weather like this, it's not hard to imagine. A beautiful night, just looking up at the night sky. When you do this, why is it interesting? What's peaceful about it? The funny thing is, is that there's a lot more dark than there are stars. The stars are these teeny little pinpoints of light that represent, you know, giant balls of gas, you know, millions of, of miles away. But it's these little, little pinpricks of light that are actually interesting in this scenario. Um, let's pull the lights back up. So I think that's kind of what the kingdom of God is like. Um, even when things seem dark, I think the kingdom of God and recognizing it is kind of like stargazing. You don't drive out to the country and lay on your back to stare at the black of space. <laughs> you go out there to look at the stars. You go out there to concentrate on those little bright spots, um, even though, you know, by measure, there is more darkness. It's the little bright spots um, that get to you. Another illustration, um, probably maybe a little more practical, uh, in our sort of age, um, I wanted to introduce you to Edith. This is Edith Rubin and her granddaughter. Um, Edith lives in California. I think she actually passed away fairly recently, um, but there was a story done on her a couple of years ago. She has two daughters and three granddaughters. Um, and the reason that she was able to start that family um, was because she survived uh, Auschwitz. And so for those of you who don't know what Auschwitz is, um, it's a probably the most brutal concentration camp from the Holocaust during World War II when um, Hitler tried to exterminate the Jewish people and several other people types. Um, and Edith was there as a teenage girl. And so when this interviewer talks to Edith about her time there, she said, you know, what do you want to tell people? What do you remember? What, what is there to say about such an awful thing? Um, you know, this woman lived in hell. I mean, just as we can bring the kingdom of heaven, I think that the Holocaust is probably the best and, and most famous example in our time of, of hell being brought to earth. 
The story that she uh, shared was of a Nazi guard who would leave his lunch for her and a couple of other women in her cabin. He would hide it um, every day and come and deposit it at the same spot, and they would eat it. Um, He did this knowing that if he got caught, he would become one of the prisoners. So it's worse than just getting executed. He actually knew that the terrible things that he saw would be inflicted on him just from hiding his lunch and giving it to some of the prisoners. But he did it anyway. Um, Edith said that it wasn't just the nutrition that the lunch gave them that helped them to survive. And that is a big part of it. Um, But it was also, and she said most of all, the hope that it gave. That even maybe some of their enemies didn't want to be there and didn't agree with what was going on. Um, It was hope in humanity. It was hope that the world outside of that camp was turning in the right direction, even if it felt like it was spinning off of its axis. You know, Edith could have left Auschwitz bitter. I wouldn't have blamed her. Um, As a matter of fact, if it was me in her position, I'm not sure that the story that I would have told wouldn't have been, well, cool, thanks for leaving me your lunch, dude. Why didn't you just not be a Nazi? Would you blame me? Would you blame her? No. She left, though, and lived out a life of compassion and forgiveness and started a beautiful family. Um, So that's a great example of a little tiny thing, what probably seemed so insignificant in the midst of what was going on. One right thing grew into this beautiful family that lives in California now. The kingdom of man is the Holocaust. The kingdom of man is the Third Reich. The kingdom of man is also the allied forces that would um, have D-Day and would invade and shut down those camps, good and bad. That is the kingdom of man. I think what Jesus is trying to tell us here is that the kingdom of God is a German soldier against his own well-being just doing one right thing, just doing this small thing, planting this little seed, having no clue what would happen next, never getting to meet Edith and her family, never seeing, never sort of sitting in the shade of the tree that he planted, but he did it. And we get to see the kingdom of God come in this little way. This kind of brings me to my next point. It's intentional. It says a man took and planted it in the garden. Again, that German soldier is never going to know. He's never going to know that what he did was enough. He's never going to know that what he did was anything. Um, I'm conjecturing, but there's a good chance he lived the rest of his life in shame, not feeling like he had done enough. But the reality of it was, he didn't leave his lunch on accident. He didn't hide his lunch and sneak it to those women with nothing to lose. He took a little seed and he planted it in the garden intentionally. How often do we think everything is such a mess, especially the last few years? What could I possibly do? Um, I feel like everything I try just isn't enough. The world keeps spinning off of its axis. The world keeps getting worse. But I think what Jesus is telling us, if we want to trust him, is that you take a little thing and you plant it intentionally. It's our favorite Frozen 2 quote, right? Do the next right thing. Don't make me sing. Just intentionally do that next right thing. And what may happen is that a tiny little seed will turn into a tiny little sprout. And over time, that'll turn into a really big tree. But it's going to take time. 
says it grew and became a tree. Anybody here ever plant a seed and then live long enough to climb the tree? No. Um, you're doing that for future generations. You're, you're praying that the kingdom would come for somebody after you in the same way that the kingdom you're living in now was the result of prayers of people you never knew or never met for thousands of years, getting on their knees and praying, your kingdom come, your will be done. So to talk about sort of it growing and it taking time, I want to talk a little bit about time. I'm not going to get all the way into like the quantum physics of it, because I'm not actually that smart. I kind of, it's a little bit of a joke. I'm not, <laughs> if, Seth is, if my friend Seth is up here, he could maybe talk to us about it. Um, so think of it this way. We're, we're talking about the kingdom of God. You know, what is another word for the kingdom of God that we use? Heaven. Yeah, it's heaven. Now, when you think about heaven, um, we, have, we oftentimes have kind of a kindergartner's understanding of it, right? Um, oh, well, if you're a good little boy or girl, when you die, you get to go be with Jesus. And some of that is, I mean, that's certainly true on a level. But when you think about heaven, you think about, do you think about something that happens for a little while? No, maybe for a long time or forever. Heaven is forever. And so when you're dealing with forever, you're not just sort of moving along a timeline, dying, going to heaven, and then going on an infinite timeline. Once you're outside of this timeline, you're going in all directions all the time. Infinity goes everywhere all the time. God is everywhere all the time. That's the kingdom of heaven. So for us in our sort of mortality, as we um, count the days until, you know, we go to meet Jesus, right? Um, we're sort of constrained by this concept of space and time. You're at a place at a time. So it can feel really slow, like, Lord, Lord, when? When will you come? Um, think of it this way. You're sitting still, right? You're probably fidgeting a little bit. I'm going on and on. But you're sitting still in your chair. You're not going anywhere, you're, you're, you're sitting still. You are also on a rock that's hurtling through space at 490,000 miles an hour. This is not an either or, not one or the other. Both is happening at the same time, right? The kingdom of God is both so big that we often don't feel it moving and so small that we have to look for it. Space, size, not that big of a deal to the kingdom of God. Ah, it's big, it's small, those are human problems. Um, time, eh, yeah, you're gonna have to be patient because it's kind of like sitting on the earth in a chair. It's both so big, the kingdom of God is so big that you kind of can't feel it moving sometimes, but also so small that you kind of have to pay attention and, and, and look for it. I'll give you a more concrete example. Um, when we think about the times we live in, uh, they're hard, right now is hard, let's just, admit. <laughs> um, so we can acknowledge that. But when we think about how is the kingdom of heaven co coming, one of the things Jesus said, he says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's saying it's here right now. It's on its way. And some of us are sitting here after 2020, 2021, this time we're in and thinking like, yeah, when? Like when? soon? <laughs> Come, Lord Jesus. But who in the last couple of years, I don't, we'll do a show of hands. I actually hate when WAGS does this, and I'm going to do it to you anyway. <laughs> show of hands. Um, how many people have seen or experienced something they wish they hadn't? It could, be a, it could just be a scary movie you didn't mean to watch or something really, truly hard, right? Okay, so now raise your hand if that thing that you saw or experienced was a human sacrifice. <laughs> no? Nobody? Good. Here's why. That used to happen all the time. 
you don't really see it anymore. It's not part of it. When you say you had a rough day at work, it wasn't because you saw somebody ritualistically sacrificed. <laughs> That's an upsetting picture. I'll take it down. Um, <laughs> here's why. A couple of weeks ago, John talked about Jesus sitting uh, or standing and preaching at um, Caesarea Philippi, which was a place in ancient Rome where they would sacrifice young girls to Pan, to a pagan god called Pan. Um, and Jesus stood there and he said, I am going to build my church and the gates of hell, which was literally the thing he was standing in front of, they called it the gates of hell, will not stand against it. And today, 2,000 years later, nobody could raise their hand and say that they saw a human sacrifice. <laughs> is it a little bit of an extreme dramatic example? Sure. But hey, maybe the kingdom of heaven is coming and maybe it's here already. Another example is Healthcare can be complicated. A lot of us have had our problems navigating the healthcare system, right? Nurses are underpaid, hospitals are clogged, it's hard. But you know what? There are hospitals. There didn't always used to be. We take that for granted. Even in the developing world, the first thing that um, you know, nonprofits and mission organizations do is try to build a hospital. Uh, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was alive, there were not hospitals and there were not orphanages. Those things did not exist. They didn't really start in earnest until uh, about 50 years after the Council of Nicaea. Now, I won't get super into the history of the Council of Nicaea, only to say that that is basically when all of the Christians of the time, remember, Christianity's only been around for about 300 years at this point, they all got together and started to make some decisions. What's the church going to look like? What's the Bible? What's going to be in the Bible? How are we going to negotiate uh, you know, our relationship with Rome as we become more of a majority? About 50 years after that happens, magically, or not so magically, hospitals start getting built. And the funny thing about that is, it's also a church. The kingdom of heaven is, and now there's hospitals everywhere. There's orphanages everywhere. Do, are they underfunded? Yes. Do we need to help them? Absolutely. But they're there. They didn't used to be. The kingdom of heaven is coming slowly, but surely. Um, so that brings me... To my final point, and, and um, I really want to make sure that this is the point that I get across. You know, uh, one of my friends who's a, um, a humanist or an atheist, maybe somebody here is kind of struggling with what I'm saying and saying like, yeah, but the church did a lot of bad. Absolutely. I, I'm, I'm on board to talk about that for sure. Um, you could even say like, well, Matt, yeah, there's hospitals and orphanages and no more human sacrifice because we're evolving. My question then would be, but why? Why are we evolving toward compassion? Why are we evolving, even though very slowly, toward freedom, toward caring for the poor and the marginalized? In the time right now, as we celebrate Juneteenth, does it sometimes feel too slow? Yeah, but it's happening. The kingdom of God is coming. It's only for us to recognize it. And that brings me to my last point. The kingdom of God is all around you. The birds perched in its branches. It grew, it was planted intentionally, it took time, it grew, and the birds perched in its branches. If you forget everything else I said, and I hope you don't, I really want to drive home this point. Um, and I'll sort of make it a little slowly, I'll tease it out um, in hopes that it sticks with you. Um, I kind of buried the lead a little bit, um, so I'm going to go back. We're going to go back a verse from, to, to discover what was going on with Jesus when he uh, kind of turned to camera and started saying this parable. Um, it says, this is from Luke 13.10. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. 
She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, woman, you're set free from your ailment. When, you, when he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. All his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. So Jesus does, when you hear miracle, this is what you think of. Somebody was crippled, somebody puts hands on him, and all of a sudden they are no longer, um, they can walk, they can stand up straight, they can see, you know, this, these things happen in the Gospels. Um, but what I want to draw your attention to today is maybe something I certainly hadn't thought about until recently. Jesus does this thing, and it is amazing. People cannot explain it. I think if it had happened now, even with science and medicine, we would kind of be like, whoa, that was a miracle. And he gets everyone's attention. They're cheering for him. You know, sometimes when Jesus did stuff, they stoned him. They threw rocks at him. He had to run away. But this is one of the, he won over the crowd. The crowd is cheering for him. And they're waiting for him to maybe do his encore, right? Do his next trick, do his next thing, do his next healing. And he turns to him and he goes, you know, what the kingdom of God is really like, though, is like a mustard seed. It must have been deflating. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, yeah, this was cool, but like, it's actually like a little mustard seed. He also does this um, earlier in Luke. Um, some of you are familiar with the story of the paralytic being um, lowered down through the roof. It's really small on my screen, so I'm going to read it backwards here. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic carried by four men. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above where Jesus was. And when they had broken through, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right away, Jesus understood in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves and said to them, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, pick up your mat and walk? But so you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, pick up your mat, and go home. Immediately, he got up, picked up the mat, and went out in front of everyone. This is another moment where Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. He looks at him and he says, you don't, you don't have to live in shame anymore. You don't have to be a prisoner to your own uh, shortcomings and shame and insecurities. You can live in the kingdom of God with me where it is free and wonderful. And then he senses that that just wasn't enough for some folks in the crowd. So he goes, all right, get up and walk. Is that what you guys needed? Is that what you needed to believe that you could not have to live in shame, that you don't have to be a prisoner to your sins anymore? Fine, I'll do it. Um, and so thinking of the miracles this way as sort of pointing toward something deeper, it's kind of like Jesus saying, um, the kingdom is not this big, crazy magic trick. And I don't want to downplay the miracles of Jesus, obviously. It's not just a magic trick. But he's kind of saying, the kingdom is not this big, crazy magic trick. If it were, then I would just go around sort of like, you guys remember, um, what was his name, Benny Hinn? He would like sweep the, the coat and everybody would be healed. Like Jesus would be just going around doing that. Why, why is there still illness? Why is there still war? Why didn't he fix it? That's a question we have to wrestle with. I think he's telling us here. He said, look, it's, it's not this big crazy thing I just did. If it, if it was, then we'd all just be going around miraculously healing everyone all the time. The kingdom is actually in this little story that I tell you after the magic trick. 
after I do this amazing thing, after I break the laws of nature as you know them so that you can believe, then I tell you a little story, tell you a little analogy about a mustard seed. That's the kingdom of heaven, is what I think he's telling us. I'll give a more specific example um, from my life. Like I said earlier, um, you know, my primary job here is like pastoral counseling. I sit and talk with people through their problems and, and walk with them through hard things. And, you know, one of the number one things that I hear is people really feeling stuck with their relationship with God being very magical. He, I wished for this and he gave it to me. You know, I prayed for this and I was blessed with it. And, but I also prayed for this and he didn't give me that. What's with that? Like I got the job, but then my mom didn't get better from cancer. I, the, my kids got into the school, but then, um, you know, my, my marriage is still in trouble. Like, what, why is God so finicky about my prayers, you know? Um, I think that what Jesus is trying to tell us here is that um, being healed, getting the job, finding the right partner may point to the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God is where we find rest whether we get what we want or not. Um, guys, life is amazing. This is what I want you to come away with. I want you to reclaim your sense of wonder about what a miracle actually looks like. Um, there is 6,000 miles worth of blood veins in your body if stretched out one over the other. That's amazing. That's happening whether you're going through the worst time in your life or the best time in your life, whether you're feeling blessed or feeling cursed, you're a miracle. And I think that that's what Jesus is trying to point out. If you were to take a single atom, so you know we're made up of atoms, right? A single atom from that chair or one of you or that column or that guitar and blow it up to the size of a, of a baseball field, the nucleus of the atom would be the size of a grain of rice on the pitcher's mound. And it, somehow that grain of rice is heavier than the rest of the stadium. That's crazy. That's a miracle. That is as big a miracle as somebody getting up and walking or being healed of their blindness. I mean, just a couple more. Gra gravity is crazy. Uh, we don't float away and we're also we're not crushed. And if it was like a fraction different, it would be. If carbon was like just a little different, a, a, a decimal of a fraction different, none of us would exist. Guys, Life is a miracle. Every breath you take, even if that breath is to breathe in and sob with grief because someone has died or because you've gotten a diagnosis or because just you are in the worst times of your life, take a moment to notice that you are a bird sitting in the branches of the kingdom of God. It won't magically heal your pain. It won't magically make you happy when you were sad the second before, but it will give you the hope that I think Jesus is talking about here when he's talking about the sort of comparison to the supernatural thing that he did and the real miracle of, of the kingdom of heaven, being small, being intentional, taking time, but then being a place where we find rest no matter what is going on in life. So, cool, heady talk, Matt, who cares? Um, what, do you, what do you want me to do? <laughs> right? Some of you, uh, some of our personality types are like, give me some, give me some action items here. Um, I think the first thing is look for the bright spots. Think about the, the, the star analogy. Um, Mr. Rogers said that his mom was famous for saying, look for the helpers. When things are awful, look for the helpers. Look for the little mustard seeds in what might be um, 
a really hard time. You know, mustard, it's funny, seeds grow. Um, we use fertilizer to grow seeds, and we all know what fertilizer is made of. So sometimes it feels like life's a lot of fertilizer and not a lot of seeds. <laughs> but look for those little mustard seeds. Um, and look for the bright spots. Be intentional. Um, do the next right thing with intention. We, you know, I think another way that the kingdom of God is coming is you all of a sudden in secular culture hear this term mindfulness. Mindfulness, you know, breathing, all these good things. The good things. Mindfulness is just intention. And Jesus talks a lot about this. He says, I don't just want you to do the right thing. I want you to do the right thing for the right reasons. Jesus' Jesus's teachings are more, I would almost rather you screw up for the right reasons than do the right behavior for the wrong reasons. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit. So be mindful, notice, and intentionally do that next right thing, even if it's something tiny that doesn't feel like it's going to change anything. I want you to cultivate patience. You will not be able to wait on the kingdom of God until you cultivate patience. I have no patience. My dad's here for Father's Day, and he used to take me fishing, and he can tell you how little patience I have. I've never been a patient guy. I've had to learn to cultivate that, right? You can do this by sitting still. Try three minutes a day. If you guys have ever talked to me one-on-one, you're like, oh, here goes Matt. He's going to tell us to meditate or contemplate or pray quietly, right? Just three minutes a day. Set a timer on your watch and try to just be still, be quiet. Don't look at your phone. Don't think about your shopping list. And, and practice patience. Nobody just runs onto a field and instantly knows how to play a sport. You have to practice. And the last thing is renew your wonder. Notice that everything is a stinking miracle. Even and especially when things are hard, take a moment to renew your wonder in this amazing universe that we live in. And you know what? Science is kind of a blessing because it shows us how insane uh, some of this stuff is with gravity, with orbits of planets. Like, think about it. The science doesn't make it less amazing, it makes it more amazing. It's wild. Take a moment to do that. A way that I do this, um, and I have for the last couple of years, is I get up every day, most every day. I'm not perfect. I try to get up and take a walk. I take the same walk most every day, and I walk to this place. This is my spot. Again, if you know me, you've heard me talk about my spot. It's a little pond in Bryan Park. It's actually nothing special. The pond's kind of gross. <laughs> the fountain's broken. Just on the other side of this frame is the highway. I think it's 95, so it's like loud and polluted. Um, they don't really take that good a care of the park, but I just was like, I gotta go somewhere and I gotta figure out what's wonderful. So I walk there every day and I just sit. And the longer I did that, I didn't say a crazy prayer, I didn't have the perfect uh, Bible devotional, whatever, whatever. I just said, Lord, I'm just gonna do this and you just do whatever you want with it. I, I'm not going to walk you through them, but uh, when I was looking for this picture on my phone, I realized I have 343 pictures of this pond in my phone. Because <laughs> it's just amazing. It's so amazing. I, don't, I can't even understand. Uh, I, can't, I don't know how to explain to you why. But I found the kingdom of heaven in this like, silly little spot. It took a long time, walking in the rain, not knowing what I was doing, not understanding why I was doing it, sitting in that spot thinking about everything that had nothing to do with my spiritual life, but I kept doing it. And I felt really blessed to be able to go there now every day and rediscover my wonder and re-experience what it feels like to be a bird perched in the tree of the kingdom of heaven. 
So I want to give you guys uh, a minute to think. We're going we're gonna to practice. You can, this is your first practice being quiet um, with a couple of questions. The first one is, what is one good thing, no matter how small, that has come from something hard in my life? The second question is, what is something I take for granted that is actually quite amazing? Think about this for a minute, and um, I'll welcome the band back up. Lord, um, God, I just thank you so much for the opportunity and the honor to be up here and to talk to these people made in your image. Um, God, I just pray that as we go into this week, as we move into the summer, um, even as we go out into today with miraculous weather, that we can find a moment, um, even for some of us in our grief and in our sorrow and in our suffering and in our disconnection, that we can find a moment um, to just notice your kingdom that's already around us. Um, that we would feel free from waiting and waiting, although waiting is a part of what we do. Um, that as we live in the tension of the right here and the not yet, that we can just for today and moving forward, be quiet, be still, and know that you are God. And in doing so, just notice um, the miracles all around us. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray all of this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.